Hi, this is Val Kehoe with University of Illinois Extension. You are listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show will start in one, two, three. No, I did it. I did it wrong. Oh, my God. I got to do it again. All right. All right. Okay. The Mike Novak Show will start in three, two, one. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I just did it. It's great. Live from a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. After 20 years, still Chicago's only deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Saturday morning on 1590 WCGO. Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. He won't make her double-dig in her garden if she doesn't make him try broccoli aromatherapy. Here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Half forest, no wetland, well, good planets are in the Right. Yep. Yep. I feel like I'm uh, in an episode of 24 here. <laughs> Because uh, or the Twilight Zone. Uh, well, I, no, no, no. This is the twenty-four. Because I just sent something to myself here at the station, and I'm like, can I get it? Will it will it show up in time before the uh, whatever bad is going to happen happens? And so on. Now I'm putting it up here on the screen, so everyone can take about twenty seconds, refresh their coffee, uh, and then we'll be ready. No, we're we're no. You can you can be talking. Hey, good you morning. You can be doing. Uh, do we have an open with here? Yes, there it is. Open with. There's the, you guys should just open it with the right things. And survey says, come on, open up. That's no, not going to open for it. Okay. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Sunday. And it's not a half bad day. Sun is shining. The, the wind has stopped a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. I actually experimented with my tomatoes uh, yesterday to take them out to the greenhouse, the mm-hmm. outdoor greenhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took them out while it was sunny and it was war- pretty warm in there. And then by the time I, I got, I was working on stuff for the show till about 7 p.m. So about 7 p.m. I go out to the yard and uh, and try to bring them back in. And uh, I think... Uh, they were shivering. They were shivering, yeah. So they're indoors right now under the uh, Happy Leaf LED grow light. And this won't open. And that's <laughs> and that's the other thing. I'm looking at the document that open I just... With. I did the uh, open with. This one might open. Are any of these going to open? Hey, Ben, this computer's not opening at all. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, Ben's like throwing up his hands going, yeah, break the computer. He says, throw something at the computer. The big screen is not working at all. How about that? Yay. Well, lovely. Lovely. Just lovely. So we'll have to use our paper versions or the my little computer screen version. Um, okay. I, you know, I'm going to adapt. It's Sunday, mm-hmm. and it's the second week of our two-hour show on Sunday on 1590 WCGO Chicago Smart Talk. Good morning, everybody, and I hope that 
wherever you're listening, uh, you enjoy the show and you tell your friends and tell your enemies, especially, mm -hmm. that they should listen to the Mike Novak show. And and tell us where you are. You can tweet to us live right now. Yeah. Yeah. We love the Twitter machine, the Twitter distraction. At Mike now. At Mike now. Uh, but you can also write Mike at MikeNovak.net. You can post on The Mike Novak Show on Facebook. Um, although, you know, Facebook, in terms of that instant communication on a, a professional page, really stinks. It's really awful. I learned, yeah. Unless it's Naked Gardening Day. Unless it's Naked Gardening. Yeah, and that's what I found out <laughs> yesterday. I found out yesterday that if, and, and, and as I said, and I've said this before, if I posted on Facebook that I had just created cold fusion on a tabletop, I think you did. Uh, I did at one point, and I would get a couple of likes, and somebody would go, "Oh, that's cool." But I posted yesterday about Naked Gardening Day, and like dozens of responses and likes, and, I'm, and I realized, okay, don't be serious on Facebook because nobody cares. Nobody cares. So just do the goofy stuff and move on with your lives. Or write a book. If you really want to communicate with people, write a book like our our buddy Arthur Melville Pearson did called Force of Nature. George Fell, founder of the Natural Areas Movement. We're starting with him today, and it's a really terrific, interesting story. Uh, so stick with us. And then after that, we, we have uh, Tom Shepard. Mm -hmm. And and Jerry Brown, yeah, I didn't even tell you that, uh, Arthur, that uh, they're going to be on the show to talk about Lake Calumet. So we're, we got some natural areas in the show today, but we're also getting into the gardening because we've got Bushel and Barry, the folks from Bushel and Perry, and we're going to see Greg Nani, Greg Nani, or Greg Nani. We'll have to figure out Greg Nani. Greg, and uh, we're going to give away a Bushel and Barry today. So uh, that is uh, in the second hour. And we're going to talk about other stuff, too. So uh, uh, Peggy and I are pleased to say that one of our favorite sponsors is back on the Mike Novak Show, Natural Communities Native Plants. They're partnering with Plant Chicago on a native plant sale featuring nearly 200 species native to the Chicago region. Proceeds from the sale will benefit Plant Chicago's education, farmer's market, and technology demonstration program. Now, the plant sale and pickup date is Saturday, May 20th, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Plant 1400 West 46th Street. The pre-order sale includes native flowers, grasses, sedges, ferns, shrubs, and trees. If you want to guarantee your selection, you need to order by midnight May 7th. you just got a few hours today to do today's May 7th, so do it today. Uh, and until May 31st, mention the Mike Novak Show and get 10% off any purchase. Go to naturalcommunities.net. That's naturalcommunities.net. Your family and pets spend a lot of time in public parks, schoolyards, and on your own lawn. And you want those grounds to be not only beautiful, but safe. Logic Lawn Care is an Evanston company with a decade of experience successfully creating beautiful lawns naturally. Logic works with homeowners on the North Shore and also with schools, park districts, and cities across Chicagoland to manage large turf areas naturally. Get a free estimate. Go to LogicLawnCare.com or call 847-421-6500. 
Have you taken advantage of the Mike Novak Show special offer at the Sugar Beet Food Co-op in Oak Park? Yes, the Sugar Beet is a community-owned grocery store, but it's open to everyone, and it features local and organic products. Stop in, mention the Mike Novak Show, and you'll get $5 off any purchase of $15 or more. The Sugar Beet Food Co-op is at 812 Madison, just west of Oak Park Avenue, and online at sugarbeet.coop. That's sugarbeet.coop. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair care products available to make sure you get exceptional color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins ordinarily found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots offers non-toxic, vegan-friendly nail services. They've also just introduced a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths. And how many salons do you think repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Walk into 21st century hair care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. This is sports director Kevin Burgess. Make sure you catch my sports report every day from 5 to 7 p.m. on French and Friends, sponsored by 1090 Brewing. KHJ Los Angeles. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. That's what we're talking. We're talking AM, AM radio, radio. Baby. 1590. Yeah, AM baby. Radio. Yeah, baby. And we're all, everybody's <laughs> dancing in the room here. You got to like it. You got to play the music. You, you, play the hits on the Mike Novak Show. <laughs> Till 11 AM right here on your musical buzz. WCGO. WCGO. Arthur Melville Pearson, good morning and welcome to the studio. Appreciate it. Good morning. Thanks for being, or for me being here. Thank you guys. <laughs> Hello. No, I'm happy to be here, though, but thank you good. for thanking good, me. Good, good, Okay? We're leaving now. You can... You okay, can... bye-bye. Have okay, a good morning. I, and I'm going to totally bust you. Now, uh. first of all, let's give him credit where credit is due. Uh, he's just written uh, a terrific book called Force of Nature, George Fell, founder of the Natural Areas Movement. Okay? Great. There you go. You got that. But... Uh, Arthur and I have, uh, we share a, a background. A dark past. A dark past. Um, a misspent youth. Mm. Um, and the softball league. A, 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 did you the play? theater softball league. I didn't, I didn't know you played. Absolutely sure. I'm still playing in it. Are you really? Oh my You're God. a better man than I. Oh, I'm, in many I'm, ways. I'm still, uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. You, 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 you do this legit. I See, you... You actually go out and restore areas, natural areas. I talk about restoring natural areas, and there's a difference. It's a powerful one-two combination. (laughs) I think so. But uh, I'm going to bust him totally, so those of you who are on the Twitter distraction um, should go to uh, uh, at Mike now and see a post that Arthur just put up with this WCGO logo, and he's got his actor face on. He doesn't have his academic face on. He doesn't have his natural areas face on. He doesn't have his environmentalist face on. He's got his actor face on. And I know it because been there, done that. I, you know, uh, it takes someone to know one. You know, this is how I know that 
uh, our president is a BSer because <laughs> I am a BSer, okay? And, and all the BSers in the world know when you're faking it, okay? And that's the thing that nobody talks about in, in the media, watching this guy speak when he doesn't have facts, when he doesn't have any knowledge of a situation, uh, and he says all these things. I look at him and I go, oh, he's making it up. He's making it up. He, he has no clue, he had, and he has no interest. And that's because, been there, done that. I know what it's like. So I've been down the acting road, uh, Arthur and I. Do you, do you do any acting still? I don't. I'm retired. I'm just waiting for my actor's equity pension to kick in. You know, I never even got an actor's equity card. I, I've never qualified for insurance. Uh, you know, I, I, I actually defied actor's equity to come and get me when I worked a few times in <laughs> in, in, uh, in Union Theater because it was like I wanted to keep working. And in Chicago, you can't make a living as an actor on the stage. Uh, and my feeling was if I, if I don't uh, become a union member, and this is nothing to say about unions because I, I, I've belonged to five different unions in my life, and they're all great. Uh, but in this case, my feeling was if I stay non-equity, I get to work a lot more. Do a lot of different roles that I would never do because there's so few equity theaters in town that the roles are sort of gobbled up by the same people over and over again, and it's really hard to, to crack that. So at some point, I said, oh, "Okay, I don't need that. I'm going to go yeah. my own route here." Yeah, I agree. No, they actually, I, I didn't work that much in Chicago, so I did most of my work actually in regional theater throughout the country, and that's the only way you could make a little bit of a. Yeah, living. and that's the other thing I never did. I never did the regional theater scene. Uh -huh. I probably should have tried that, but I was sort of married to. First of all, I ran a theater company for ten years, and right? Then, and then after that, I kind of went, there was, it was such a letdown. I, I thought, I suppose I could go out in the regional theater. But at that time, I was in my mid-30s, mid to late 30s. And I thought, oh, really? I'm not going to start doing that now. That's crazy. And, and then I you know, got into the radio thing and in gardening, and it just went in a different direction. As you in uh, uh, natural areas and being um, an ecologist, yeah. um, the same thing happened to you. And, and just yeah. one more thing before, yeah. because I, I don't want to get too distracted <laughs> here. I, the reason I bring this up is because I got a something in the mail this past week from a theater company, and they were they said, "Hey, we uh, our our so and so in the theater company uh, thought you'd be really good to audition for this role," and it was uh, to understudy. <sighs> In a, in a tiny theater with a brand new script. And I basically wrote back and said, I don't do understudy. Okay, thanks. Thanks for the offer. I'm not trying to be mean or snarky. I don't do understudy. All right. It's just like, <laughs> ow, that really hurt. <laughs> you know, and, and all of us who have been in the theater who have always been like the second or third choice in a show. Uh, know what that's like. You, you, you know, I've auditioned so many times, and they said, "Oh, you came so close." Oh, darn! And then people would drop out, and they would come back to me, and then cast me in the show, and I'd be great in it. And I'd say, "Well, why didn't you do that in the first first place?" Uh, but all right, enough about theater. Okay. I want to talk about George Fell, um, founder of the Natural Areas Movement, and probably a lot of people listening have no idea who George Fell is. Why? Arthur Melville Pearson, why don't they know who George Fell is? Well, I didn't know who George Fell was. So about 15 years ago, I got asked to write about George Fell for the Natural Land Institute, and that's a land trust up in Rockford, Illinois. And they said, this is our founder. We want to celebrate our 50th anniversary. We'd like a little biographical piece written about him. I said, sure. You know, it's a writing gig. Of course I'm going to take it. And I said, by the way, who again? 
I've been writing about conservation for a lot of years and had never heard of this guy. So wow. I was intrigued to find out who he was. I feel mm-hmm. better now, actually. Yeah. You're, you're telling me this. <laughs> you're in good company. And actually, most of the places where I speak, they go, yeah, I don't know. They've heard the Nature Conservancy and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Or, but the more I started, yeah, diving into his yeah. life, the Nature Conservancy, the Illinois Nature Preserves Commission, the list went on and on and on. I said, how is it that I didn't know about this guy? So that's when I thought, I did the small biographical piece for the Natural Land Institute, but this guy was really deserving of a full-scale biography. He's as important as John Muir and Aldo Leopold and the other conservation luminaries, so hence the book. Actually, yeah, he is, uh, except a slightly different time frame. Yeah. You know, John Muir was, you know, they're, they're the pioneers who, who started before anybody had an inkling of what was going on, and he was like second wave. Third wave, even, Third I'd wave, say. Yeah, 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 maybe. Okay. So we got John Muir, who's doing the national parks and all that kind of stuff, big, important mm-hmm. stuff. Aldo Leopold, who pioneered the wilderness areas with a national right. forest. And Although uh, uh, a contemporary of Fell. A little and, bit. And kind of a mentor, kind of. Not really. They were sort of uh-huh. uh, in different spheres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he actually, George could have studied with mm-hmm. Aldo Leopold. Yeah. Decided not to, went to a different university, but read everything he could by Leopold. And, and the interesting thing about George Fell, he was not a particular good student, as you write in your book. In fact, fact, it it sort of haunted him his whole career, at least in the early part, until, you know, he became famous for establishing institutions that were changing the world. Um, It haunted him because he had a hard time finding jobs. I mean, the early part of his life is him sort of drifting around and, and, well, I guess I'll try to do this. And he would send out these resumes and they would be in like eight different areas uh, it didn't matter. Yeah, he was just looking for children's a... museum director. I found the weirdest. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. an odd combination yeah. of things. Almost, you know, kind of like back to us, Mike. Of course, it's all back to us, right? But you know, when you start <laughs> in, about, in, yeah. in the creative fields, you're trying to get a, you know, a foot in the door someplace. Mm-hmm. And so I think George fell in his own. He had this strong passion, just didn't know how to manifest it. So he's, you know, putting spaghetti on all different kind of fridges, <laughs> hoping something's going to stick, and it really didn't. So he had to go make something up himself. And the other thing that I found interesting, and this is still from the early part of his life, is that he was a conscientious objector. Yes. And that followed him around, too, because you were not a conscientious objector in World War II. So, you know, things changed by the time we got to Vietnam. Right. Uh, But in World War II, no, no, we were the arsenal of democracy and we were the the beacon of freedom and and we had to save the world. And the thing, at least you must have recognized from his writings, is that he believed in this honestly. He wasn't... um, it, this was not a scam on right. his part. He was not mm-hmm. trying to shirk his duties. And right. I think it was doubly difficult for George, too, because his father was such an extraordinary uh, patriot. His father served with distinction during World War One. He was a medical officer mm-hmm. and a very important, prominent person. And during World War Two, then he served um, as on the National Medical Advisory Board. Mm-hmm. So to go against your dad <laughs> is just a really, really hard uh, thing to I do. I won't tell you about the conversations <laughs> I had with my dad about Vietnam. Oh, okay? please, we have time. Please, because my dad. Yeah, my dad was in World War Two. It's, it's yeah, kind of the same right. thing. Uh-huh. And then we had conversations about Vietnam, and they yeah. were they were not pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so so there we have this guy and he doesn't do well in school he's a conscientious objector both things are strikes against him as he tries to find his way in the world but he has the one thing going for him and he doesn't even know it it seems uh, at least the way you've written the book which is this 
uh, focus on the idea that our natural areas are disappearing way too fast. And I was telling you out in the lobby before the show, you read this book and, 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 um, and then you meet like-minded people in the environmental world and the conservation world. And you realize that you're not the only person who's thinking this. And I have been thinking this for 20, 30 years that mm-hmm. what's happening to – well, anybody who, who grew up in the latter part of the 20th century has seen the, the growth. And anytime you visit a place from your youth and it has been paved over, it hits you in the forehead. But George Feld knew this in 1948 and before. He, you know, before in the, in the 30s, he was already thinking along those lines, wasn't he? He absolutely was, because he had an idyllic childhood. He grew up, as he said, on the wrong side of the Rock River, because it wasn't very well-developed at right. that time. So he, yeah, In he, Rockford area. In the Rockford area, exactly yeah. right. So he had this beautiful, idyllic pastoral landscape to explore. As a student, he collected all these botanical specimens and had this rich legacy, this rich history of getting to know these plants. And then as a young man in the post-World War II building boom, Every natural area was being plowed over. It was being paved up. And so he was watching his youth being destroyed, his passions being destroyed, and also the passions of his father. Because his father, in addition to being this great psychiatrist and this medical advisor for the, for the army, he was an extraordinary amateur botanist himself and chronicled all the plants of Winnebago County. So they had this shared passion, and it was being plowed up, destroyed, mm-hmm. gone from the face of the earth forever. And I think he did not understand the developer mindset. Not at all. I don't either. I don't think right, Arthur but does. That's, that's one of the key do. focuses, you know, of of not that developer mindset never crossed his. Maybe. So he could stay focused. Yeah, I guess. It wasn't a money thing for. But it's also maybe a good idea to understand the developer mindset so that you can work against it. And, yeah. And the developer mindset, I'm sorry, it's money. That's the developer mindset, mm-hmm. basically. Except, well, well, that's not exactly true because you also mentioned. Um, uh, organizations, uh, entities like uh, Illinois Department of Natural Resources, which used to be called... Illinois Department of Conservation. You know, and even that, the change in name tells you something. We went from the Department of Conservation to the Department of Natural Resources, which means, and I learned this, I learned this 30 years ago when I had a vacation home in the Pacific Northwest uh, that was on national forest land. Mm. National forest is not about preserving forests. It's about utilizing forests. National parks, on the other hand, are about preservation. And I think most Americans don't understand that distinction. They think that when they hear national forest, they hear, oh, yeah, we're going to preserve our forests. Mm -hmm. That's not it at all. They're about... Are are utilizing resources. Right. It was to make sure national forests were to make sure that the growing nation had a steady supply of building materials and other materials to feed a hungry nation. It's a good thing. I mean, there's a there's a rightness to it. There's a goodness to it. Right. In moderation. In moderation. Right. You know when when. When you don't take the very last stand of redwoods and chop them down because we really need that lumber or right. the uh, cypress swamps, we really, really, right. we really need to make mulch out of those cypress <laughs> trees. It's really important that we do And that. we want to put a shopping center there. Right. And yeah. I think that was George's point. With In Illinois, the statistic is well known amongst conservationists. There's less than one-tenth of one percent of natural land left. So when you talk about the developer mindset... 
Why do we have to plow over that last little piece? Can't we protect some little scrap? No, and the, and there and and what George Fell understood was that because the developer says it's so small, there's it's it, it's going to be too difficult to save anyway. George Fell never fell for that line. Ba-do-ba. But yes. um, thank you. Uh, I don't have my room <laughs> shot up there. Okay. Thank you. There we go. Uh, and and thank goodness he didn't. Yeah. Because that allowed him to move forward at a time when most people weren't listening. Right. They and weren't listening to him. They thought he was I, – I get the idea. They thought he was kind of a crackpot. Well, it's interesting because even Aldo Leopold, his mentor, believed that those small natural areas, it was going to be impossible for government to protect and manage those. They're just too small, to too scattered. He actually wrote down that he relegated them to ultimate extinction. That's some pretty strong language from the father of the modern conservation. Wow. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I saw yeah. that, and I was stunned. Yeah. So Aldo uh, Leopold was <laughs> dark, much darker <laughs> than George Fell. Yeah, and George, his mentee, said, I, I hear what you're saying. I have a different opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And that was his life's passion. Uh, but he didn't know how to do it. And right. um, he, he kind of stumbled about... And one of the other things that we discussed in uh, the lobby out there was the idea that he, 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 he was instrumental in getting several organizations going and entities, uh, and uh, you know one uh, government entity, but and and the other is the uh, conservation. I'm sorry, the um, the Nature Conservancy, uh, which is not a government organization. Oh, and that's the other thing we didn't talk about is his <laughs> his, his mistrust of government. Yeah, it was beyond mistrust. <laughs> yeah. Deep Loathing. antipathy, maybe? Yes. Yes. Well, having which, worked having Which worked, worked against for, him. But, right. The civilian public service, that was a government-run mm-hmm. operation. He had a brief job correcting farm schedules in Washington, D.C., didn't like that. He did an internship at another government thing. And he was just one of those people that, even, even more so the government, he was just an individualist. And he didn't like anybody really telling him what to do. Yeah. And government is structured in a way that there are rules and regulations, and that just wasn't George's environment. Well, we're going to get into that story, uh, the Nature Conservancy and the other organizations George Fell with, was with. We're uh, uh, talking to Arthur Melville Pearson author of Force of Nature. Uh, we hope you're enjoying the conversation. This is the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we'll be right back after this. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to lead healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even keeping your pets healthy. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and healthy cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. If you garden in or around Chicago and you don't have a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, I'm a little worried about you. 
That's because you're missing out on not only the Garden Magazine for our region, but one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, as well as articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, and What to Do in the Garden. Of course, there's my column on the inside back page of every issue, but into each life a little rain must fall. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. On newsstands everywhere, but go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. 888-265-3600. What is this anyhow? This is your talk. This is America, Jack. On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're Malecki, sorry. Where we're all going to join together and just ruin my little segue there. Gosh, I hate when that when that happens. Your, your name is so hard to pronounce. Uh, we're talking to Arthur Melville Pearson, uh, author of Force of Nature. It's about George Fell and the uh, the natural areas movement. And we just got to the point where we said that uh, George Fell didn't trust government, so he gets involved in organizations, sometimes quasi-government organizations, and tries to cut them off off from the government and run it himself. And let's talk a little bit about the start of um, the Nature Conservancy, which arose from a different organization. How did that happen? Well, actually, I, I think the first thing to point out is that at the heart of this book, it's a love story. Because George really didn't kick into gear mm-hmm. until he fell in love, until he met his future wife. Mm-hmm. So George is fishing around for these ideas, couldn't quite gel. And then all of a sudden he meets Barbara Fell, mm-hmm. and they fall in love, and they become this great alliance. So they dedicated their lives. So the day they got married, the day they got married, they absolutely started developing a journal to keep mm-hmm. track of their natural areas preservation efforts. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing they did is try to get something protected in Illinois or started in Illinois. They wanted to start the Illinois Nature Preserve Commission, spend a few years, didn't work out. So the amazing thing is, how hard is it to do get legislation passed in the state of Illinois? Very hard. Yes. So rather than do that, now they're going to go to the national level and try to get done at the federal level mm-hmm. what they couldn't get done at the state level. That's crazy. That's <laughs> no, illogical. They, That's insane. And they just got in their car and drove. Yeah. yeah. With, with a bunch of sandwiches, and we'll go to D.C. <laughs> we got 300 bucks, and we're going to start this national organization. Right. And so they spent a year trying to get legislation passed, and, of course, that never became mm-hmm. came to pass. But then, as you point out, they had this loose band of ecologists. So these were academics who wanted to get land protected, but they really didn't have a clue how to do it. And George said, I got an idea. So that's when he transformed the Ecologist Union, as the group is known, right. into the Nature Conservancy, a nonprofit organization. So George was the only one to raise his hand and said, I'll do it all for free. You don't have to pay me. I'm just going to figure it out. But again, in terms of this great relationship he had with his wife, they needed some money to live. George was, uh, excuse me, Barbara was the breadwinner. Yeah, of course. She went and actually got a It's not a the job. first time that's happened, you know, in, in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Are we going to share, Mike? Uh, uh, actually, to some degree, yeah. You know, what can I tell you? You know, behind, 
um, every successful man, there's a more successful woman sometimes. Yeah, and it, it really underscores it was a partnership. Yeah. They were in this together, and whatever they needed to do individually and collectively, they just did it. They didn't question it. It was a team effort, and they did it. So they got to work, both of them, for free for a number of years, but the the great thing about George is that he insisted on putting this infrastructure into place. If it's going to be a national scale organization mm-hmm. to really do something, it needs strong bones. And that was that interesting dynamism at the early years of the Nature Conservancy. There was another guy who just wanted to make deals. He was a wheeler dealer, mm-hmm. just save land, don't worry about infrastructure. And the battle between them mm-hmm. actually led to a schism in the early years of the Nature Conservancy. And I would describe it as George lost the battle but won the war. He was sort of eventually shown the door at the Nature Conservancy, and he contributed to that because he was a very complex and complicated personality. But the infrastructure that he left in place made sure that the Conservancy grew into what it is today, which is the largest conservation organization in the world. And I find that uh, that uh, competition between the two men very interesting because uh-huh. uh, G- George was uh, wanted to uh, uh, cross T's and dot I's. He wanted to create a national organization with regional uh, 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 parts of that organization that re- reported to the national organization. And were funded. And were funded. Right. Right. And did this methodically. He he wanted it by the book. And this other guy, and what's his name? I'm forgetting. Richard it. Poe. Poe. Who was an extraordinary conservationist in his own right. He just had a different idea mm-hmm. of how to go about it. And his idea was, whatever comes down the pike tomorrow, uh, I'm going to jump on. Because yeah, let's this... get it. We'll deal with it later how right, we're going to handle right. it. Right. And that's actually the way I operate. You know, I'm one of those guys. It's like, what's in front of me right now? All right. And if that if, if that seems promising, let's do it. Let's grab it. Uh, whereas George uh, Fell had the big picture and the ultimate destination in mind. And somehow those actually worked together for a while until then they they bumped uh, George out of the organization. Uh, and part of the reason was he was a stubborn man, too. He, it was his way or the highway at the end of the day, and that's just a challenging situation. So I think it takes the kind of strong personality like a George Fell was to break through a wall. And it really was a wall initially because everyone was talking about how do we do this. Mm-hmm. No one came up with an idea to do it. So it took George and that tenaciousness, that stubbornness, that single-minded vision to break through the wall. But once you do that, then you have to perhaps operate a little differently, a little more inclusively. And that's not quite the thing that George could do. Yeah, that he, wasn't his particular strength. He wasn't strength. good at... Once it happened, continuing to sell it. Right. He got he through the to wall. the next thing. Right. He got through the wall, and we're going to continue to do it my way. And everyone said, uh, excuse me, I got a few other ideas here. Mm-hmm. And that was just not Georgia's strength. Uh, well, I want to get back very quickly, though, to the idea that part of what happened here is that he was a guy who was willing to work for free or for peanuts right? just to get the thing done. And this is a, a an argument that goes on to this day. I see it in environmental organizations. Uh, are we going to pay people or are we just going to get stuff done? I see it in theater. Are we going to pay people or are we going to do art? And it goes. It never goes away. There are, there are always those people out there who say, no, you can't really get anything done unless you pay people. And there are the other people who say, no, you have to get stuff done and if you get paid along the way, that's gravy. Uh, and I don't think those two uh, ideas will ever be reconciled, really. 
It is a tough thing, but I think to George's credit, he was willing to make the sacrifice himself. You don't have to pay me, but we need an infrastructure that eventually is mm-hmm. going to be able to pay others. So I think he always believed that we're going to need a rich, robust volunteer yeah. force. Mm-hmm. But without that infrastructure, there was no hope of getting enough money in order to pay the future professionals that we required to help volunteers, to guide volunteers in the and, universe. And he would take any amount of pay he got and just put it right back into buying more land, put it into paying other people to survey it was just keep reinvest, reinvest. He took peanuts himself, and mm-hmm. again, most of the money he got, he just channeled right back into the organization yeah. to make it as strong as he could. And again, to outlive him, which in effect is what they've done. The legacy, oh. yeah. All right. right. And so let's talk about that legacy because he started out with $300 and, you know, in a, and a <laughs> and car. And some sandwiches. And, and some sandwiches <laughs> and a car that he rebuilt himself over and over and over again, or cars. And turned into a camper, basically. And it's one of the reasons I hate the guys because I don't know anything <laughs> about cars. <laughs> You know, I'm not organized. But could he grow tomatoes? That was his wife. Uh, yeah, I think. I don't think he was interested in growing tomatoes. But they were, though. They they, they grew their own foods. And then that they, was and Barbara, she, though. And she was the canner, right, so mm-hmm. that they could eat. They lived very, very frugally. Um, and I do like his statement from the 60s or the 70s when he was already remarking, you know, we have too much stuff. We we have too much stuff. We, you you got to pare it back. This is crazy. He lived his conservation values. Yeah. So they didn't need a new car when mm-hmm. you could just work on it and continue to make it function. You didn't need to stay in hotels when you can make the seats in your car go back <laughs> and, and put then put curtains, curtains on yeah, the window right. and sleep overnight in a state park. Who would want to do that? I've actually done that. Okay, so there <laughs> <Have> we <laughs> all. <laughs> I guess. So uh, let's talk about the. Uh, uh, the uh, Nature Conservancy, and it started out 300 bucks. and what's it worth today, and what's it doing today? I mean, f- folks need to know this, and they probably do, but you can explain it to them, Arthur. It's one of those things that just mushroomed exponentially. So there are a lot of people who are critical in the success and the growth of the Conservancy over the years, but building upon that strong infrastructure, there is now a Nature Conservancy chapter in every state, and they are guiding these dynamic, wonderful preservation efforts in every state of the nation, and it's gone international. So it is by an order of magnitude and by several measures, the largest conservation organization in the world with over a million members, assets that even George himself couldn't manage mm-hmm. or imagine. Um, and they're understanding that conservation's not it's, – it's a local matter because you have to get people that are excited and passionate about preserving their prairie, their woodland, their wetland. But it's connected everywhere. So this is spring – bird migration season, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Birds just don't live here. They actually have to go all the way down to the tip of South America, all the way back up to the Arctic and back and forth. They need lots of protected, healthy natural areas in between. They don't know borders. This truly is an international thing, and the scale of the conservancy allows us to understand and help put all those pieces together. And speaking of the birds, we had Nina Baki on yesterday from the Forest Preserve District of Cook County, Uh and you bring up a lot in the book about the forest preserves. Right. And how a lot of fells work tied into that exactly as well. Well, you know, and uh-huh. and that's at a point where he has left the Nature Conservancy. He's kicked out of the Nature Conservancy. Comes back to Illinois. Says we're going to do this on a statewide level. Starts another uh, me- or a uh, movement to get that done. Gets becomes part of the Illinois Nature Preserves Commission, gets booted out of that as well. I mean, the guy just kept do, doing these wonderful things, and then they would kick his mm-hmm. butt out 
the door. So he lasted at least twice as long with the Illinois Nature Preserves Commission before he wore out his welcome. And the reason he wore out his welcome in that particular instance, he wanted to insulate it against the vagaries of government. Again, he had that deep-seated mistrust of government. And government being government, it's inevitably going to run into political issues, into financing issues. Mm -hmm. And we in the state of Illinois know that the state is pretty challenged right now without having a budget. And so the Illinois Nature Preserves Commission, for instance, has key staff positions that have remained unfulfilled for a few years. And that's to the detriment of the agency and the effectiveness of managing those natural areas. So that's the thing that George wanted to protect the commission from, and he couldn't quite do it. But in his effort to make it more insular, that's where he got Mm -hmm. shown the door. Well, we only have a a couple of minutes here. um, And uh, if folks want uh, to get a copy of the book and and read about this very interesting man, I mean, (laughs) he, uh, you know, he wasn't an angel, and uh, he was a visionary. And not all visionaries are are universally liked. Let's put it that way. Uh, one of the places you can go to my website, MikeNovak.net. I have I have links to it, or you can go to your uh, website, Arthur, which is ArthurMelville.com, ArthurMelvillePearson.com. Excuse me, Arthur Melville Pearson, which I put That's up on Facebook and Twitter. Oh, okay, so you can link to that. great. Um, so I, I, while we have like a minute left, uh, yeah. you're you're very much interested in Medewin National uh-huh. Tallgrass Prairie. And Peggy and I went and visited there, and I've been there several times, and I and I I find it awe inspiring in so many ways. Um, what's your connection to that? Well, that's the thing that I do. When you, got, you got like. Uh, 45 seconds here. You got it. So when I'm not at the writing desk, actually, I just love to roll up my sleeves and volunteer. So I've been volunteering at Medewin for over 20 years now. And mostly what I do is monitor birds. So when those birds migrate back to Medewin and as they restore the land, I'm there counting them. And counting is critical scientific data to make sure that the way that they're restoring the land is in a way that's going to help those grassland mm-hmm. birds. So that's what I do for me. I love it. It's the best thing that I do. Well, I'll tell you what. Like yesterday, I, I so, said one of the people is going to take me out on a bird uh, watch because this is my weak area. You're going to do that. I'm going to go down to Medewin with you, Arthur, and I'm going to make you teach me about <laughs> birds, okay? Are you ready for Henslow sparrows, grasshopper yes. sparrows, dixisoles? We're going to do them Prairie all. Prairie chickens. Prairie chickens, we'll do them I all. I can do it. And bison. Bihanka. Ah, okay. Uh, Arthur Melville Pearson, thank you so much. We'll be back. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Community Supported Agriculture, or CSA, creates a direct relationship between you and a local farmer who grows your food. You support a farmer financially up front, and your farmer provides you with local, sustainably raised food during the growing season. This could be a weekly box of vegetables, a monthly share of meat or eggs, and there are many other options. To find your farmer and the CSA that works best for you, go to bandoffarmers.org. Sign up for your CSA today. 
One of Evanston's best parties of the year is just around the corner, the 2017 Evanston Green Ball. It supports the Evanston Ecology Center and features great local food and beverages, live music, and an environmental art show. The Green Ball is on Saturday, May 20th from 7 to 10.30 p.m. at the Levy Center, 300 Dodge Avenue in Evanston. Go to evanstonenvironment.org for more information and to buy your tickets. See you at the Green Ball. This is Mike Novak, tree keeper number 417. Registration is now open for Openland's Tree Keepers Summer Course. Tree Keepers are a network of trained volunteers who take an active role in caring for trees around the Chicago area. The eight-day certification course will be held in Oak Park at the Austin Gardens Environmental Learning Center on Tuesday and Thursday evenings beginning June 1st. To learn more and to register, visit openlands.org slash treekeepers. This is your talk. One of the few true originals of our time. On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Hi there, nice to be with you. Happy you could stick around. Like to introduce Legs Larry Smith, drums. And Sam Spoon's rhythm pole. And Vern Dudley Bohay Noel, bass guitar. And Neil Innes, piano. Come in, Rodney Slater on the saxophone. I didn't realize we could fit all these people in the studio. I don't know if we have headphones for all of them, though. Uh, Hi, Vivian Stanchel, trumpet. One of my favorites ever. Mm-hmm. Big hello to Big John Wayne, xylophone. <laughs> and Robert Morley, guitar. We gotta get to... wait. Billy Butlin, spoon. There's one we hear in particular. And looking very relaxed. Adolf Hitler on Vibes. There we go. <laughs> Got to get to Adolf Hitler on Vibes before uh, it's considered uh, an intro. It's the intro and the outro by Bonzo Dog Band. Uh, talk about going back. Uh, that's that's t- a while back. That is a while back. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with uh, Peggy Malecki. We're uh, wrapping up the first hour. We got another one coming up uh, after uh, 10 a.m. So I hope you're with us on 1590 WCGO. Well, I just wanted to mention there's a really cool event happening out in Naperville um, being sponsored by the Resiliency Institute on May 13th at the Conservation Foundation's McDonald Farm. They're going to have a native and annual vegetable plant sale, but they're also selling great things for putting permaculture in your backyard. Really? Yeah, so they're they're going to have a, a bunch of different native plants with natural communities. They're involved. Wait. Ding. Okay. Um, they're selling native plants, trees, and shrubs. And they're going to have some species available for walk-up on May 13th. But the Green Earth Institute is going to have vegetables and herb seedlings available, veggie boxes. And they're going to be talking about native landscaping and organic farms and putting permaculture in your own backyard. So that's May 13th, 8 a.m. to 1, Conservation Foundation McDonald's Farm out in Naperville. And you can contact the the Resiliency Institute for more information. I, was, uh, I knew this was happening. My phone started dinging like crazy, and I know that it's uh, Celesta ten thirteen. Every time, she, she <laughs> there gets, she is. She gets on there, and she will just uh, uh, tweet and tweet and tweet and tweet. And uh, and and when the phone starts dinging like crazy, I I know that's her. Hi, Sandra. How are you? I hope you're listening to the show. Good morning, Sandra. Um, and uh, the I mentioned this yesterday. Now, the Wildflower Preservation and Propagation Committee. Uh, which is the WPPC, and uh, I once mentioned to them, I said, don't, don't you want kind of a, a a handier name, something a little? <laughs> and one of the people said, 
Don't get started on that. So I get a feeling there's been a few uh, board meetings where mm-hmm. that's been discussed. However, they're holding their native plant sale today, Sunday, May 7th, at McHenry County College, 8900 U.S. Highway 14, Crystal Lake, from 12 noon until 3. So you got some time to get over there. Uh, more than 150 species will be available to plant your prairie, savanna, woodland, and rain garden. A couple of years ago... I did a, a, a broadcast remote uh, back when I was at Progresso Radio, and that um, uh, was pretty crazy. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's a great place to get uh, native plants. They also have organic heirloom garden vegetables and herbs from W&M Landcorp Organic Nursery. And native trees and shrubs from Ohana Farms are going to be on sale today, too. Now, it's cash or check only. Uh, now, you you could go to uh, the WPPC.org, but you could just show up at uh, McHenry County College, 8900 U.S. Highway 14 in Crystal Lake at noon, from noon to 3 today, and uh, I guarantee you will not be disappointed. I think uh, everyone's going to have to be really careful, though, because Peterson Garden Project has their warm crops Today's day two as well. Oh, that's true. But everybody's, what, wasn't, it, wasn't it yesterday? It was yesterday and, and today, but I believe. But it's not warm I know. There. It's not warm. So everyone's going to be picking up their tomatoes and their peppers and their cukes. And... Can, I, can I issue a <laughs> warning about that? Uh, it, I'm telling you, I yesterday, okay, I went out to our greenhouse. And we got this little greenhouse in the, not our backyard, but our neighbor's backyard. And it's a long story. But she's got room and she's got sun. Uh, and... Uh, so it's, it sits on this slab of concrete, and we had issues. We patched it, and then it got really cold, and one of the things we patched, the door started flopping open. Mm-hmm. So we said, okay, we can't put stuff in there. It's too cold. So uh, I waited till the nice sunny day because we haven't had any sunny days because you can – the greenhouse isn't going to get warm if there's no sun. Right. Um, and finally yesterday I went out and went, okay, looks good. I kind of patched the door. I brought my tomatoes out. I put them in there. And it was warm. It was toasty inside. So I was like, okay, great. This is good. Now, then I get working on the show, and I didn't get back to it until about 7 p.m., and it was already pretty cold. And some of the leaves were curling. And I went, oh, that's not, that's not good. So I got them in the house, and I think they're okay. Um, but it's tricky right now. Uh, however, interesting thing, I'm seeing some volunteer tomatoes come up in that yard where we planted hmm. last year. And they're sitting there, and they're tiny little things. And... If they grow from seed in the ground and they're volunteers, obviously... They're used to it. They're kind of used to it already, but they're not growing very fast at the moment. No. So just be careful. If you got warm, if you get warm season vegetables right now, you might want to coddle them a little bit inside until you get them out. Don't plant them yet. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just too cool. Although all my kale and my cabbage and all those plants are doing wonderful. So are right mine, now. my spinach and other stuff. It's doing great. And my flowering strawberries. Marshall strawberries no, flowering away. All right. <laughs> Thank t- you, Mike Novak. Have they overgrown your garage yet? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Okay. So, well, we talked about birds and migration yesterday, and I wanted to share that the Park District of Highland Park has an annual lakefront migratory bird survey. So if you are really interested in lakefront birds, the 10th annual survey is Saturday, May 20th. 
Um, every spring, the Park District staff and volunteers survey all four lakefront parks of Rosewood, Moraine, Millard, and Central. They've got several habitats. Novice and experienced birders are all welcome. And then I there's mean, a, even me? Even you. Even me? Even okay. you. And then there's a nice little breakfast afterwards at the Heller Nature Center. So if you're interested in joining the Highland Park Park District for bird watching on the lakefront with experienced birders, with team leaders, you can call Liz at 847-571-7740. That's 847-571-7740, and join in on May 20th. Cool, cool. Uh, I want to let folks know that uh, we're going to have a contest in the second hour, and we're going to give away uh, some examples of bushel and berry. We'll be talking to the bushel and berry people. And basically, they're, they're ornamental uh, edibles or edible mm-hmm. ornamentals. You said you had a couple of raspberries? I, what happened is they, I got a couple of uh, – they used to be called brazelberries, okay? And then a different company bought them, and now they're called bushel and berry. And the idea is that you can put a shrub in a container – and uh, that means you can move it around. You can use it as decoration wherever you want, um, um, you know, uh, landscaping on mm-hmm. your patio, in your backyard. And, and you can also harvest vegetables. And what happened is I put one in a container. I put a strawberry in a smallish container. I don't know. I think it was I think it was under maybe around five gallons, maybe less. Um, and I put it on the ground. Um, and last year, I was moving it, and I realized it had taken root. All right? You weren't moving it too far. Uh, well, I did move it, though. I went yank and pulled it up, and the rooted part stayed in the ground. Uh-huh. And so now I have rooted <laughs> uh, uh, raspberries uh, with the other uh, raspberries in the container. Uh, the blueberries I had didn't fare as well. They they kicked the bucket several years ago. So, you know, this is things I'm going to ask them about. It's like, is it new and improved? Uh, how, how's that working? You know? Yeah. And- well, I saw Lisa Hilgenberg had some of their berries also at the Botanic Garden. She had a post on her Facebook page about it. Uh-huh. But uh, they have blackberries now, yeah. so they got five different kinds of blueberries because everybody wants to grow blueberries. Yeah. Let's face it. And there's this, there, if you live in Illinois, there is a secret to growing great blueberries. Everybody gather around the radio. I'm going to whisper the secret to you, to growing great blueberries in Illinois. Move to Michigan. Okay, that's the secret, because that's where they grow really, really well. I'm telling you, I'm just trying to be honest. South Haven. It's all about about pH, baby. We got the wrong pH on this side of the lake. Mm -hmm. All right, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Second big hour coming up. We're talking Lake Calumet. We're talking Brazelberry. No, they're not Brazelberry. Bushel and Berry. Stick around for all of that. We'll be right back. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. 
I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm, it appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Call us with your questions and comments at 847-475-1590. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. And welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us on a bright Sunday morning in the city of Chicago. A little cool. We gave you our warnings about about, <laughs> about warm season vegetables, uh, but the cool ones are doing great. And you know, looking at the forecast, and Rick DeMaio, who joins it, join, he always joins us on Saturday, uh, and uh, he said uh, another week, folks. At really, least, yeah. yeah. There's nothing's changing for now. Here we are uh, having March in May. He's called it April and May. And Kathleen calls it March in May, yeah. but uh, um, it's it, it it is that's. That's what we call climate variability at the moment. And it does it tie into the nature of what's going on with greenhouse gases in the world? You bet it does. Yeah. And <laughs> Jerry Brown in the studio is nodding and saying, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, there are some people who get it and other people who just deny it. Uh, and uh, deniers are always welcome to call us at 847-475-1590. I play, uh, uh, you know, uh, Tom Shepard is also in the room from the Southeast Environmental Task Force. Uh, he and I like to whack the little white sphere around occasionally. Um, believe me, folks, we don't go to the fancy country clubs. We're we're on the south side usually. I usually say to Tom, um, what's one of your favorite little haunts down there? And we go to some little... Joint. I'll um, find a coupon. Uh, <laughs> that's right. He always has a, has a coupon. It says, I'll get, I, I'll get us on, or, and then maybe we can do the senior rate too. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> but there's also the Tom Shepard rate, and they all know him. So it's like, it's like, oh, you want the Shepard rate today? Okay. With a coupon. And I and, and 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 last year, remember Tom? You and I actually played in this uh, tournament. Uh, which was for the uh, actors. It was a the theater league tournament, and we played with these two really nice guys. Okay. But at the end of the day, we got to talking about climate change, and the guy in the on the other team said, uh, and he he had been really reasonable all day long, and then uh, he says, you know what. People aren't affecting the climate. The, the, the Earth's too big. There's, there's no way that they can affect the climate. And I'm like, hmm, dude, we got to get you some facts and figures here. We, and, 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 and that was his deal. He didn't have any scientific knowledge of it. He felt 
in his soul that the earth is just too big because, you know, he can see it's very big. <laughs> he can see by himself that it's very big. Um, he doesn't realize that there are 7 billion people on the planet in a lot of polluting industries and 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 that the uh, the seas are acidifying and the temperature is going up and the coral reefs are disappearing and, and species are disappearing. And, you know, it's that whole argument about uh, the plane. And I love that, that, that uh, uh, analogy of a plane flying across the country. You can remove rivet after rivet. What's the point at which the plane falls out of the sky? Mm-hmm. What is the species that is going to make mm-hmm. the earth collapse? We don't know. We don't know which one. So uh, we have these guys in the studio, Tom Shepard and uh, Jerry Brown. Tom, of course, as I said, is a past president of Southeast Environmental Task Force. He's been on the show many times. Um, uh, just you just left the Chicago Recycling Coalition, right? Yeah, I did. Okay, mm-hmm. I, yep. which I dragged him into. So uh, <laughs> still work with him, though. Yeah, of course, of yeah. course. And uh, Jerry Brown is with the South Area Civic League. Right. He's the founder and president. So uh, welcome right. to you both. We're gonna we'll be breaking in just a couple of minutes, but let's get an overview here. We're here to talk about Lake Calumetta in the southeast side of Chicago. Uh, uh, Jerry, I assume you live in the area. I know Tom does. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I live uh, slightly north and south, uh, slightly west, but it's still considered the southeast side. A uh, little community called Mary Nook. Uh, I was actually born and raised there, uh, raised my family there, and now my oldest son is raising his family there. Oh. And that causes us to have a lot of concern about, about what's going on out there. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> for, yeah. for like the last hundred years. Exactly. I exactly. mean, and, and that's, and I've said this before, that folks on the north side, folks in Palatine, folks in Schaumburg have no idea. Yeah. They just have no idea what's going on on the yeah. south side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's there? Right. What are the remnants of the uh, industry that were there? What's what mm-hmm. the pollution pollution remnants yes. of all the industry there? And then we've got this thing called Lake Calumet, which has been oh, I beat up, you know, and yeah. filled and drained and moved and shifted and dumped into and oh, now, and, yeah. and now has a big old fence around it. Right. And it's, you know, smack dab in the middle of the community and you can't get to can't it get unless to you it. have a waiver. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, it's time for that to change, Absolutely. isn't it? That's Absolutely. what we're here for, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's, as they said, why they're here. And there's a bill making its way through the General Assembly. And it has to do with the debt that's old, owed uh, at uh, Lake Calumet because it, it's part of the Illinois International Port District. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and folks forget that because there are no boats that go there anymore, mm-hmm. that are international boats, because it's not deep enough. It's just, just all kinds of problems oh, there. Yeah. So this is where we start. Uh, to talk about this issue. So if you have a question or a comment, you live on the south side, you live on the north side, you want to know about this, 847-475-1590. We'll be talking to Tom Shepard and Jerry Brown right here on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki on 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. We hope you join us. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to lead healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even keeping your pets healthy. 
You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and healthy cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Is this the year you finally get your lawn off drugs? But why stop there? Why not work with your city, your park district, and your local schools to create a neighborhood of lawns that are beautiful and safe? Logic Lawn Care is an Evanston-based company with a decade of experience managing large turf areas naturally. They'd be happy to sit down with you, your local school, or city to answer any questions and to give you a free lawn care estimate. Go to LogicLawnCare.com or call 847-421-6500. This is your talk. Do you read me? On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Come on, is anybody even out there? Which could be the theme for the show. Yes. <laughs> sending out an SOS. I'm sending out an SOS because Peggy just called my attention to the fact that folks are still <laughs> posting on Facebook about uh, national or it was it international? I don't know. Uh, Planetary? Na- <laughs> naked Gardening Day. And all I want to say to you folks is stop, okay? Just stop. It's right over. Now. It's done. All right? We've moved on. Thank goodness. You know, it's like it's like international talk like a pirate day. It happens once. <laughs> and we can do that too, but no, just stop, okay? Okay, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, Tom Shepard from the Southeast Environmental Task Force. um, Give us a little background on the political angle of what's happening at Lake Calumet. We talked before the break about everybody knows it's been degraded. It's this body of water that could be a wonderful resource to the south side of Chicago, southeast side of Chicago. And yet it's got barbed wire fence around it. Uh, Why is that? Well, uh, just backing up a little bit, first of all, the southeast side had so much uh, heavy industry and polluting industries over a century of uh, smokestacks out there up until the 80s when most of the steel firms left. And in their wake, they left a lot of empty, polluted land, contaminated areas out in our district. And uh, so around the year 1999 and 2000, the city decided that um, they needed to take a new turn and begin to uh, identify those properties, these brownfields, clean them up, <clears throat> um, and make a different southeast side. And what they did, they they uh, came up with a land use plan where they designated hundreds of acres out in the Lake Calumet area as green space that would be open to the public and uh, different recreational um, opportunities out there. And here we are 17, 18 years later, and it hasn't happened yet. We've hmm. been 
clamoring for this for uh, yes. all these decades and uh, working on that and trying to get the port district to uh, conform with the land use plan and to work with the the uh, different groups, uh, environmental groups and the public out there to open some of the property and allow them to come in and enjoy the lake like we had for well time immemorial uh, and uh, until they closed it off and put this big barbed wire fence, built a golf course out there, which didn't have a whole lot to do with their port facilities <laughs> no. operation. Or, 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 or really the neighborhood. Right. I mean, it's a beautiful golf course, yes, and uh, right. if I could afford it, I'd be on it. it um, but mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it doesn't exactly resonate with the rest of the neighborhoods right. Not there. quite, no. Um, it, and it might have been a good reuse of that land because, uh, as you pointed out, so much dumping went on out there. Well, uh, but here's the thing you got to yeah. understand, too. Okay, the golf course is right on Lake Calumet, and, you know, and again, this is not just to bust the people uh, because you and I like to golf. But as you know, there's a lot of chemicals mm-hmm. used yeah. on golf courses, right. and it's right next to Lake Calumet. So you tell me those chemicals are not seeping into the lake? I, I don't think that's yeah. true. Yeah. I'm sure they are. Mm, not uh, quite sure about the chemicals at the golf course, but, but they, the water has been proven to be pretty clean, but the sediment underneath is really... Yeah, yeah it's got, what, PCBs and other things, and, and slag and right. Right. has been in there, and... So uh, why so why why is that fence still around there? It's because of a debt owed on the waters. No, well they, they claim that the fence is protecting it f- um, since the nine uh, eleven attacks. Uh, oh come on! And, and, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I know, I know. It's a homeland, homeland security. security. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. so so if you want to go in, water plants. right? If you want to go in to see the Lake Calumet, you got to take your shoes off and your belt buckles, right. and then you <laughs> right. can sign a waiver. Right. Sign a waiver, right. and you can go in there, yeah, and, and no liquid. In bottles more than uh, yeah. 0.3 ounces or right. whatever. And like a chain leak fence is going to protect us from a terrorist attack. Right. So, yeah. come on. No, it's just silly yeah. stuff. Yeah, it uh, really is. The silly, but it. Are we being protected from other things? I mean, there's some environmental degradation there. Is it dangerous to to boat in the lake, to fish in the lake? What's the story? Yeah, it's it's no worse really than than a lot of places that people are already using and enjoying. Uh, the thing is, we we need a sea change in the thinking there. That uh, it's it, the international, the Illinois International Port District has operated kind of in secrecy for yeah. since its inception in the 1950s. Sure. Uh, they're one of those little-known governmental agencies that um, operate in the darkness, and not uh, probably not many of your listeners even know it exists. Uh, yet they don't uh, uh, respond to the community. They don't feel like they have a need to, and that's what we're trying to change. Right. We want to work with them. Uh, and work with an entity that might be able to come in there and operate um, a, as a recreational facility. But where does where does you, you talked about um, um, HB seventeen ninety seven right. uh, in the General Assembly? Yeah. How does that play into all of this? And, and what exactly is it? Yeah. Right, right. Well, around nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty, the Port District needed to improve their facilities to accommodate more shipping. And they got a $15 million loan from the state of Illinois. Now, that's the people's money, of course. And uh, the contract that they signed was that they would pay that money back with uh, 8% interest Mm -hmm. uh, over a number of years. Well, they never made a single payment, not one payment, not in 1980, not in (laughs) 2017. Uh, Nothing in between. They just kind of forgot about it? Uh, Yeah, kind of just completely forgot Mm -hmm. about it. And three or four years ago... Uh, they asked the legislature in a uh, 
representative from down in uh, Champaign, I believe it was, uh, introduced a bill to forgive that debt so that the uh, uh, Port District could wipe their slate clean and Mm -hmm. be able to borrow more money. Uh, They have bonding power, and uh, uh, they wanted to make new improvements out there. And when we came to them, we said, well, we might be able to support you if we were able to open up some of the property to the public. And uh, they wouldn't deal with us then. And now who, the city, who, Who's us? Uh, the public, actually. So, and, But there are various organizations, and I would right. assume that, Jerry, your organization is one of them. SCTF yeah. might have been another one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Actually, okay. there are 29 organizations. That's really? Involved in Community that. groups. Community mm-hmm. groups, yeah. yeah. Well, but community groups don't yeah. count, you know. That's, right. that's a different story altogether. As well, in addition to Open Lands, Friends of the Parks, right. Alliance for the Great Lakes, sure. Sierra Club, right. and uh, Southeast Environmental Task Force, Calumet Ecological Park Association, mm-hmm. uh, all of these groups, and the 10th Ward Alderman, where this uh, the mm-hmm. entire exactly. Lake Calumet area is within the 10th Ward. Uh, she's behind us a thousand percent, Alderman Sadlowski-Garza. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so we have all this movement and uh, desire to open the property up, and they're still being stubborn, even though they would like our support to uh, for this debt forgiveness bill so that they can do new things out there, which don't um, have much to do with what we've been advocating for for a long time. So mm-hmm. the idea is if the debt can be forgiven, there's a chance to move forward, but until the debt is forgiven... Uh, the, what is it? The, the state who has uh, fenced it off? What? No, or the, the, por- the, the port district. The port they, district has fenced it right, off. Right, okay. right. They they received uh, millions and millions from Homeland Security money. Okay. In fact, they have yeah, camp- wait, wait. cameras <laughs> out there now. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Because, because it's such a, it's a, it's a terrorist threat. Uh, exactly. Lake Calumet right. is yeah. a terrorist threat. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's let's. Uh, so, to, what would this mean to the community, Jerry Brown, if uh, you could open up those fences and create? Uh, Parkland. Well, that's you know, uh, all around Chicago, uh, we have parkland. But the parklands that's most used and most enjoyable are the parklands that's connected to large bodies of water, such as parks along Lake Michigan and mm-hmm. the Chicago River and Wolf Lake. Uh, you know, more uh, enjoyable than the Lockland parks. So out on the south side, the Algar Gardens, Roseland, Pullman, all those communities out on the south and southeast sides uh, don't have access to uh, lands like that. Uh, children have gone out there. Uh, Tom and his group have sponsored wa- uh, hikes out on that land uh, for the last six years. I, they, I've been on those okay, hikes. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I've been and, on a couple and of there them. There have been children that have gone out there and in amazement. They see things that they just don't get the opportunity to see in a city like Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, the uh, bird sanctuaries that are out there. You know, the, the type of things that happen in wetland. It's a, it's a vision that you will not see in a city like Chicago, and that needs to be opened up to the public. As, as a matter of fact, for about 100 years, Lake Calumet was always open to the public, even when they had the maritime Operations going on out there, so that would be a great thing. I mean that uh, what goes on out there could be attached to the STEM curriculums of the schools out there. You know, uh, there's so many, so many, so many things. You know, uh, being the uh, head of a civic organization, I find it difficult to be uh, civically engaged without being politically astute. And I recently got involved with this movement because I found out from Tom and some other people about this, and I call it a mess that's going on. So I did some research about this debt, and you were recently talking about it. And uh, I found out that this, when they made this loan, this loan was originally made without interest and without a uh, defined maturity date. And that caused me to ask, well, why is it necessary to forgive it? 
And, uh, you know, and as Tom was telling you, <laughs> you know, that means, okay, you can have this money. You can pay us back whenever, you know, even a thousand years from now. But uh, if they're going to do economic development, which is the, uh, the story that we get, and we haven't been given the full uh, explanation of exactly what's going to, we have some, uh, some idea. Uh, but if that's going to take place and if the type of things that they're building and, 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 and creating out there aren't exactly uh, available to the public that lives there, uh, there has to be some kind of concession if they are going to get this debt relieved. And what mm-hmm. we're asking for is a, uh, about 300 acres of land to be set aside for public use. And, that, and, and we think that's fair if they get this debt relieved. Yeah. We've got a Twitter question asking, is the Port District a public entity with elected or appointed officials? Oh, that, that is such a good, <laughs> good question. question. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> we, 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 I believe we've opened a can of worms here. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were, Thank you, Celesta. <laughs> Give her a ding. Yes. <laughs> recently, we were at our state senator, the local state senator, Donnie Trotter, who is the sponsor of this bill in, in the Illinois State Senate. Uh, we were in his office with the director of the Port District, and and uh, Senator Trotter asked him directly, that's Clayton Harris the third is the director, uh, whether they were public or private body. And, and he was, uh, his answer was a little confusing and disconcerting. Uh, but, but what they actually are, they, they are a public entity that's uh, appointed. The board is appointed half of the members by the governor and half by the mayor of the city. That's correct. And the chairman is appointed by the mayor of the city. Yeah. So it is a, a government body, yeah. and uh, they're not elected officials, uh, but they... Uh, they don't have taxing ability. They right. do have bond uh, power to right. float. Money, I, so. I'm I'm not an expert in this, uh, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it sounds to me like uh, there's some old debt settling here, and and I don't mm-hmm. mean just the money. It's like I get a feeling that some of the political players in this are looking at you know 15, 20 years ago and saying, you know what, you're going to pay for that, and and I don't mean again with money with with. We're going to block whatever ne- needs to happen here, and because we don't like you, <laughs> you know we're mm. you know we're we're settling old debts here. Uh, I don't know. I'm you know I'm speculating because it sounds silly not to to forgive the debt and move forward. Can we just move forward and get this done? Because there's been other stuff going on on the south side uh, that is helping renew the area. Right. This is yeah. um, this yeah. is like a. a, a, a a black eye right yeah. in the middle. middle. Well, and yeah. Big Marsh is right next to it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's been improved. Yes. Mm-hmm. So how, what's what are the next steps? Well, <clears throat> for for one thing, the um, uh, there there was an effort to, when the Millennium Reserve Steering Committee was appointed by Governor Quinn back around mm-hmm. twenty between twenty ten and twenty twelve. We worked on this project, and that was one of the main goals of that uh, of Governor Quinn and the Millennium Reserve to have this open to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, they did carve out a deal, and uh, Governor Quinn was able to find conservation funds downstate mm-hmm. uh, that would uh, pay for seven, I think it was $7 million to the Port District for 282 acres out there. Mm-hmm. The, the deal was put together uh, in October of 2014. The mayor of the city and the governor right. and all the state and federal representatives from the area 
and uh, about 100 uh, members of the community came out there for a big announcement. Yeah, we know that, what happened. That this mm-hmm. deal was going to happen. That was in October, followed by an election, election. in November. And, right. and, and if you that want to that. know if elections have consequences, <laughs> then, you know, you go. don't even there get me started on, the, on that whole thing right. about how, well, we don't really like uh, Quinn. <laughs> uh, he's just not a strong enough. Well, g- guess what you got guess now? What? Yeah, yeah, you got total what? gridlock now. So, so that, uh, that, that I, agreement was torn up, obviously. Yeah. Well, we got a minute left, Jerry. I'm going to let you have the final words on this, okay? All right, great. Well, you know, uh, I'm all for uh, economic development. Uh, That area definitely needs it. Right on the other side of the Bishop Ford, there's economic development taking place, and it would be dumb to leave that black eye as a black eye. I'm all for that. But the the citizens must get something out of this. This is their money. Actually, the land belongs to us. You know, it's just that the Port Authority has— has control of it, mm-hmm. and they have to be sensible. <laughs> they have to be sensible and understand yeah. that it's what the people want that's most important. Uh, we have to, you know, we have to really change uh, the way that we deal with things like this, and we have to make these elected officials, appointed officials, understand that they're actually employees of ours, and they have to understand that. And whatever we have to do to make them understand that and make some concessions, that's what's going to take place. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jerry Brown mm-hmm. from the South Area Civic League and Tom Shepard, uh, uh, past president of the Southeast Environmental Task Force. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we're going to continue to follow this issue because we okay. know there's there's legislation pending. Yes. And we need to get bring down the fence. Yes. Uh, Mayor Mayor Emanuel, tear down that <laughs> fence. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, Peggy? Mike and I are pleased to say that one of our favorite sponsors is back on the Mike Novak Show, Natural Communities Native Plants. And they're partnering with Plant Chicago on a native plant sale featuring nearly 200 species native to the Chicago region. And the proceeds from the sale will benefit Plant Chicago's education, farmer's market, and technology demonstration programming. Now, the plant sale and pickup date is Saturday, May 20th from 10 to 2 at the plant, 1400 West 46th Street in Chicago. And the pre-order sale is going on right now. It includes native flowers, grasses, sedges, ferns, shrubs, and trees for your yard. So if you want to guarantee your selection, you need to order by midnight. May 7th. That's tonight. Yes. Which means, Mike, you got like 14 hours to get that done. <laughs> so you can also show up on set on May 20th and see what's still available, but order online and you'll have a much better I selection. I have connections. I know yeah, Nick personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So until May 31st, also mention the Mike Novak Show and you'll get 10% off any purchase. Go to naturalcommunities.net. That's naturalcommunities.net. All right. Coming up on the Mike Novak Show, your chance to win some bushel and berry plants, uh, raspberry and no, uh, no, no, blueberry and blackberry plants. So uh, you're going to have to uh, stick around and find out how that's going to be done. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Is your couch killing you? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Americans have much higher levels of flame retardants in their bodies than anyone else in the world. In fact, California children have some of the highest levels ever measured. Flame retardants are found in furniture, electronics, and even in baby products, and have been linked to cancer, birth defects, and other serious health issues. OMG! What's a green diva or dude to do? Furniture that does not contain polyurethane foam usually does not contain flame retardant chemicals. There are nonprofit organizations that have done the homework for us and have lists of flame retardant free furniture manufacturers. 
I'm Green Diva Meg, and you can find more low-stress green living tips at thegreendivas.com. This is Mike Novak, tree keeper number 417. Registration is now open for Openland's Tree Keeper Summer Course. Tree Keepers are a network of trained volunteers who take an active role in caring for trees around the Chicago area. The eight-day certification course will be held in Oak Park at the Austin Gardens Environmental Learning Center on Tuesday and Thursday evenings beginning June 1st. To learn more and to register, visit openlands.org slash treekeepers. Chicagoans use your blue carts to recycle. Bottles, flattened boxes, jugs with the lids on, tin and aluminum cans, juice cartons, and mail. No plastic bags, including store bags, no greasy pizza boxes, styrofoam, disposable coffee cups, light bulbs, napkins, electronics, or shredded paper. Put your items loose in the blue cart and not in a plastic bag. Visit RecycleByCity.com Chicago and let's make Chicago beautiful and green. What is this place? You're in uncharted territory. What do you mean? Where are we? I don't know if you've heard this. I don't know what it is. Tell us your name, please. 1590. WCGO Chicago. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki on the phone. I'm not even going to uh, pretend I know how to pronounce Lacey's last name. Although, okay, Lacey, are you there? I am here. Okay, uh, here's what I would say. Okay, we're, Pe- Peggy and I are going to try each try it, and uh, and we'll see who comes closest. I would say Gragnani is what I would say. And Peggy, what would you say? Gragnani, because I know a Paul Gragnani spelled oh. the same way. <laughs> Well, I'd say if you combine both of them, then you're spot on. <laughs> you're both pretty close. How, how do you pronounce it? Uh, it is pronounced Grignani. Grignani. Okay. So we'll call yeah. you Lacey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As most people do, because it's absolutely nothing what it looks like. <laughs> uh, of course. Uh, and uh, Lacey is the program manager for Bushel and Barry. Uh, welcome. Thank you for being on the show this morning. Thank you for having me. I have a history with these plants. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Did uh, the folks who helped us set this up tell you about that? Um, not in too much detail, but I'd love to, to know what your experience is with them. Okay. Uh, several years ago, I got in- introduced to plants called brazelberries, which is what these used to be called, correct? Correct, and you pronounce that correct. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> well, I knew that because I, you know, I, 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 I had dinner with the folks. Uh, they came to Chicago. They were part of a, a show. I think the uh, Independent Garden Center show here in Chicago, and I got to meet them and we talked. And I got a couple of the blueberry plants and one of the raspberry plants. Um, as a matter of fact, hold on, because. I want to go online here because I know you've got like seven of them now or, or or about to have seven varieties. And the ones I had were the raspberry shortcake, uh, the jelly bean blueberry, and the peach sorbet blueberry. Okay. And uh, I I grew them. The, the uh, raspberry shortcake raspberry is still going strong 
In fact, I mentioned earlier on the show, it was kind of odd that I, I had it in a container and sometimes, you know, I didn't have it in a, a saucer and I just put it on the ground and it rooted into the ground. And then when I moved it, part of the root stayed. And that plant is now growing as well. So I have I have it in a container and I have it in the ground as well. Uh, and, and that's just fine with me. It's, it's actually, you know, very hardy and, and produces uh, very well. So, uh, but the blueberries, uh, they're, they're a little tougher. But you got to understand my philosophy of, of gardening is I slam things in a pot and I say, good luck. <laughs> I'll see you next year. Um, in fact, one of the years uh, I had the blueberries in a couple of containers under my porch. The pipe under the porch bro- uh, broke during the winter and uh, it flooded the pots and they were icicles. They were ice cubes. And then in the spring, and, and this was after the people who had, who had gotten me the plant said, well, put them in your garage over the winter, mm-hmm. and then, you know, you want to keep them the cool but not frozen and so forth and so on. And I just left them under the porch, and they turned into icicles, and they came back. And I was just amazed. Wow. Yeah. Uh, over the years, however, the, the, the blueberries sort of petered out, but the raspberries going strong. So my question to you is uh, – what has changed in the years since they were called brazelberries, aside from the fact that uh, your company uh, took them over, and that is uh, Star Roses and Plants, which apparently uh, got the rights to these plants? Is Am I right in uh, assuming that? Yes, that is correct. Um, and I will just start by saying that your story is incredible, and I've never heard of somebody having the raspberry grow through the bottom and then produce another plant. So that's that's fascinating. <laughs> but that just proves how great, you know, some of these genetics are. Yeah. I'm and happy I'm happy you I'm happy to add that to your store of knowledge, okay? This is my contribution today. Oh, great. I I'm going to use that too. <laughs> well, do we want to tell folks if they want some growing out of their own containers? Yes. Yes, we are, are, are doing a giveaway right here on the Mike Novak Show, and here's how it's going to work. Uh, you're going to have to call us, okay? And we will take the fifth caller, five, fifth caller at 847-475-1590, 847-475-1590. Fifth caller will win, and let's go back because I have... The three, we've got three varieties that we are going to send in a package. They are going to get the perpetual blueberry, which gives two crops of blueberries in a season. Baby Cakes Blackberry. I wouldn't mind getting my hands on one of those. It's a dwarf thornless blackberry. And if you know anything about blackberries, folks, you know that they could go nuts in your yard and under the wrong, or right or wrong conditions. Uh, and then the third one is blueberry buckle. It's a new blueberry that won't be available until 2019, but you would get one of those. So there you go. I think they're sending those out early, though, as, as a test plant. Yeah. So uh, tell us a, a, a little bit, uh, Lacey, about these various blueberries, uh, blackberries, and, well, we know about the raspberry. <laughs> It'll grow through the bottom of the pot <laughs> if you let it. But what about the other plants? Uh, yes, uh, all seven varieties that we have in the collection, uh, they're all really completely changing the way that we think about berry plants. So, you know, they're compact, they're easy to grow, they're all self-pollinating, which means that you only need one plant by itself to produce fruit. Um, some of the other blueberry genetics or uh, cane berry 
genetics, which is a, a blackberry or raspberry, um, th- those that are out there on the market today, you need multiple plants to get fruit. Uh, and most people don't know that. So then, therefore, they you know, get frustrated that they don't get fruit. And so with our collection, you know, there's a guarantee that you will get fruit with just one plant. Um, they're easy to care for. Um, just like gardeners like yourself, you know, you can basically leave them there alone and they'll come back by themselves. Uh, so they're really, really unique collection of plants. Um, I, I can't say anything really negative about them um, <laughs> because there's so, so many positive attributes to them. Nor would um, I expect you to, okay? <laughs> so so how, yeah. does, how does the yield, though, vary? Um, you know, if someone's growing it in the pot versus a, um, a blueberry bush growing in hey, the yard. Hey, Ben, Ben, hold on one second. I wanted to, can we talk to the uh, the winner? We don't have five Oh, we're yet. looking for five. Okay, we yeah. got people still calling in. Okay, yeah, just we... wanted to make sure we do that. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt, Lacey. <laughs> <laughs> I was no just asking about the yield on the, uh, the, the bushland berry in a container versus one growing just loose in your yard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, we... As you mentioned before, we recently acquired this collection, and so there's still a lot of research uh, to be found out, um, and one of those is the yield. And so I want to find out personally what the difference is because nobody's really looked at that ah. uh, hmm. question in detail so far. So I, from what I've seen and what I've heard, I don't think there's much of a difference, but I'm hoping that by the end of summer I will have you know a little bit more uh, clarity. But I... I can honestly tell you that each each plant produces a lot of fruit that's all very tasty and mm-hmm. you know we we promote that you can you can make a a blueberry pie with this or you can make a raspberry shortcake so really you know you have that much fruit, fruit to to make something mm-hmm. yeah what about the blueberries because as you know blueberries are notoriously pH dependent meaning that um, you need acidic soils for blueberries. Do you advise people to use any kind of acidic amendments uh, in their containers? Yes, definitely. Um, With all blueberries, genetics, you really need to have a pH that's somewhere between uh, anywhere from 4 to 5.5. And as you know, your average soil is, approximately a pH of 7. So you have to do something to neutralize that soil a little bit and make it more um, acidic. And so, I mean, at every garden center out there, there's um, acid amendments. You can add peat moss to to your regular potting mix. Um, I personally like Dr. Earth's acid lover mix. Just Mm -hmm. add a little bit to your container, and it's really going to help that plant produce a lot more fruit. Uh, I've used Dr. Earth products uh, before and uh, actually do like them very much. Uh, I'm not sure that people who are not gardeners understand just how acidic 4 is. It's very, very acidic, uh, which is why I said earlier on the show the secret to growing blueberries in Illinois is move to Michigan because uh, uh, <laughs> that's where they have the acidic soil. Um, yeah. But but you don't have that same problem with the the – uh, blackberries or the raspberries, I assume. No, because um, those genetics are really about 6.5 to 7.5 is what the soil level they prefer. So those are a little bit uh, easier to grow in a landscape or in uh, your average potting mix. Uh, I know the Chicagoland area does have 
usually a little higher uh, pH in your average soil and everybody's landscape. So that's why it makes container gardening a little bit easier and nicer because you can amend that soil and have a little bit more control of, over it versus, you know, what you have out in your backyard. Yeah, and, and so it kind of depends on how much work you want to put into growing your plants. I mean, even 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 though you say they're, they're easy care, you have a little bit of maintenance. I mean, blueberries are, are tricky, and everybody loves blueberries. Everybody wants blueberries, and so that's 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 the deal. Uh, ben, we've got our our winner, Jessica. Okay, tell you tell you what, Jessica, you hang on. We're going to get to you after the break because I want to wrap up with uh, Lacey here. So, um, the blueberry buckle that's coming out in a couple of years. So you're still experimenting. Uh, what's on the horizon, Lacey? Yes. Uh, well, this variety we've been trialing or has been trialed for at least the past four years. So uh, we know it's, it's going to be a, a great addition to the collection. And this is going to be the first of um, some southern genetics that we add to the collection. So they will, they will do very well in some of the warmer climates. They will have uh, low water needs and low chill yeah. requirements. Um Okay, Lacey, so, we're, we're, we're out of time. Thank you so much. We're going to give away your bushel and berry, and uh, we'll let you know how things go. Thanks for uh, being part of the show. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair care products available to make sure you get exceptional color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins ordinarily found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots offers non-toxic, vegan-friendly nail services. They've also just introduced a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths. And how many salons do you think repurpose hair clippings, recycled product containers, and use LED lighting? Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Have you taken advantage of the Mike Novak Show special offer at the Sugar Beet Food Co-op in Oak Park? Yes, the Sugar Beet is a community-owned grocery store, but it's open to everyone, and it features local and organic products. Stop in, mention the Mike Novak Show, and you'll get $5 off any purchase of $15 or more. The Sugar Beet Food Co-op is at 812 Madison, just west of Oak Park Avenue, and online at sugarbeet.coop. That's sugarbeet.coop. Community Supported Agriculture, or CSA, creates a direct relationship between you and a local farmer who grows your food. You support a farmer financially up front, and your farmer provides you with local, sustainably raised food during the growing season. This could be a weekly box of vegetables, a monthly share of meat or eggs, and there are many other options. To find your farmer and the CSA that works best for you, go to bandoffarmers.org. Sign up for your CSA today. This is Sports Director Kevin Burgess. Make sure you catch my sports report every day from 5 to 7 p.m. on French and Friends, sponsored by 1090 Brewing.
Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show. Uh, and final, uh, the home segment here on a Sunday morning. Let's go to the phone line. Let's bring in uh, Jessica, is it? Mike! Jessica! Jess! <laughs> Where's our coffee? Where's our cinnamon rolls? Oh, this is, is this Jessica Chipkin? No. Oh, okay. It's Snappy J-Dog. Oh. oh, oh, Snappy! Come on, you're scamming the show. No, you're not. You're 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 well. <laughs> I can't believe you were the fifth caller. How, Me either. How about that? Well, you don't need this. You know all about growing stuff. Well, actually, this that's a good reason for you to have them because you won't kill them. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, um, I do well with raspberries, but I am not successful with blueberries or blackberries. Really? Well, blueberries. Yeah. I'm telling you, blueberries. In Illinois, it's a tough, tough deal. Uh, you have right, yeah. you have to uh, have the right uh, uh, pH uh, mm-hmm. and 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 sun and well sun too. But uh, I'm telling you, it's the uh, it's pH mostly is the issue with blueberries in in Illinois. So, well, I'm glad you got them. Where are you going to put them? In my yard somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? You don't have this already figured out? How you're going to landscape the whole thing? No, and if I mean, I I guess a lot of farmers or farmers and gardeners are like this. I have too many plants already. Um, you think things I need to to move to different locations in the yard. So it'll be it'll be part of. I'll, I'll just have to figure it out. We'll make it work. <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> I know you will. Okay, before uh, before I let you go, because we've got to talk about a couple of other things here before we uh, wrap up the show. What gardening advice do you have for people on this uh, chilly week in May? Are you talking to me? Yeah, you. Well, so Mike, I uh, I did not heed your advice, and I planted my tomatoes in my garden about two weeks ago. What? And they are they are struggling. They're I've been babying them along. They're I think they're going to be okay, but I shouldn't have done it. So no my kidding. advice is to listen to your advice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to, to help folks here. I am just trying to help out. You know, on those really lovely weekend days, uh, like two weeks ago, it was just such a beautiful day. And I was like, oh, the soil is already warm. My plants are already I know, big. I'm just going to do it. I know. You wah, know, wah. You, yeah, we don't have that. <laughs> I don't have the wah wah thing. All right, we'll see. Well, if, there's a lot of plant sales that you if, can go buy some new ones at. If even experienced gardeners get faked yeah, out, yeah. it shows you. I'm telling you, June first, June first, or this year, maybe even later. It might be later. Yeah, my feeling is watch the forecast at this point because certainly not in the probably not in the next ten days, uh, and then maybe after that. But who knows? Because it's not about the daytime temperatures; it's about the nighttime temperatures right now. So. Right, yeah. Um, all right, Snappy J Dog, thank you so much. Congratulations on winning those plants. We'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Yeah, thank you. All right, have a great Sunday. Okay. Uh, there's a uh, a hearing coming up uh, at the Cook County Board of Commissioners this Wednesday at 118 North Clark Street in Chicago, room 569. Uh, at 9 a.m., there's a zoning and building committee, and then at 11 a.m., there's a board meeting. And it's about an issue that has disturbed me a little bit. We talked about it on the show because we had a guy named John Lardner on um, a few weeks ago. And it's something called Patriot Acres LLC, which has proposed a composting operation 
uh, in unincorporated Cook County on a landfill out there. I forget what the name of the landfill used to be called. Um, but uh, it has... It has become a cause celeb, and you know there's there's people with uh, pitchforks and torches basically out there ready to circle the it was facility. The Sexton landfill. The Sexton landfill. Okay, mm-hmm. and in this area, a lot of people are up in arms. They're, they're saying uh, it's going to raise this. It's going to be a stink, and there's the truck traffic's going to go through the roof. And, vermin and-, and vermin, and your property values are going to go down. And it's really quite hysterical. I mean, not in a funny way. And there's hysteria around this, and I have characterized it before, and I continue to stand by my statement that the hysteria is anti-science. And why do I say that? Well, I say it because composting is important, all right? We passed a law in Illinois in 2010, House Bill 99, that encouraged composting, uh, uh, commercial composting facilities, so we could get food scraps out of landfills and turned into compost. Uh and the idea was like start let's start building up the uh, the the soil. Mm-hmm. Let's stop contributing greenhouse gases to the atmosphere because if you put this stuff, if you put organic waste in landfill, it turns into methane, which is a very potent greenhouse gas. Uh, so uh, you're you're sequestering carbon uh, when you do this. You're adding nutrients to soil, and basically here we go again. It's this, and it's another argument that I keep making over and over and over again, which is we have seven billion people on this planet, soon to be nine billion people. What are we doing with our waste, whether it's organic or human? Or anything else, yeah. And and these folks are saying, well, none of these operations work. Well, there's there was this group called Citizens versus uh, Patriot Acres. Patriot Acres, and you can go to the website and you can go to patriotacres.net or you can go to Citizens versus. Just Pat- Google Patriot Acres. Yeah, and you'll see all this stuff yeah. pop up. It's yeah. all there. And it's really interesting because a lot of the suburbs are now moving toward mandatory compost recycling. Mm-hmm. Well, it's. Where's it going to go? Well, I think what the folks who are against this want to have happen is put it into big trucks and drive dozens. Put it somewhere. Out of sight. Right. Out of... Somewhere. Make it go away. Make it go away. Exactly. There's no such thing... cool idea. Let's let's compost our food, but make it go away. There's no such thing as a way anymore, okay? My feeling is we have to figure out what to do with our waste products. Otherwise, we're going to be buried in them. And so I, I, I know that uh, the Illinois Food Scrap Association has endorsed this operation. I'm with the Illinois Recycling Association, and we've endorsed it, provided, of course, that they follow procedures, guidelines, codes, laws for the area and our good neighbors. This is all you want um, to assume that this facility is going to stink is just not true. To assume it will not stink is just not true. We don't know. But if you look at what they're saying about it, that how, how it's different from other facilities that have done this and what they're and, and given the, the notoriety of this. Do you think John Lardner is not paying attention and that he's not going to do everything mm-hmm. in his power to make sure that this is done right? 
that's that would be irresponsible. So I suspect that he's working right now to make sure that this is done right. All right, so the Cook County Board is voting on this, and I just wanted to spend a couple of minutes here on the show to say if they do it right and they do it by code and, and law and are good neighbors, I say go for it. We got to figure this out, and it's on a landfill, and it's there's, it's set back way from the community. The property values, I don't think, are going to go down, uh, and and I don't know if I'm standing out here alone saying this. There are other organizations, as I said, who have, have said this as well. So, and the people involved seem to know what they're doing. Yeah, so they're 11, 11 a.m. Well, actually, 9 a.m. zoning, 11 a.m. board meeting, 118 North Clark Street, Chicago, room 569, the Cook County Board, if you're interested in this issue. I want to thank everybody who was on the show today, Arthur Melville Pearson and Tom Shepard and Jerry Brown and Lacey Gragnani. I think I got it. Uh, And our winner uh, of our Brazel Snappy J-Dog. Snappy J-Dog. Until next week, go green or go home. Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. One of Evanston's best parties of the year is just around the corner, the 2017 Evanston Green Ball. It supports the Evanston Ecology Center and features great local food and beverages, live music, and an environmental art show. The Green Ball is on Saturday, May 20th from 7 to 10.30 p.m. at the Levy Center, 300 Dodge Avenue in Evanston. Go to evanstonenvironment.org for more information and to buy your tickets. See you at the Green Ball. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, mike at mikenovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at mikenovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please, support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at mikenovak.net.